Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We're Needy in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 155, recorded on June the 15th, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needypintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. And today we are going to talk about averages, which is basically a very good way of describing myself and Alexander. We're also going to talk about query store hints preview. I always love when Alexander provides me with hints like that. How changes to data capture uh, is in preview for Azure SQL. We also have one of the most stupidest name changes ever, according to some people. Where We have some Apple news from WWDC. And I know that's not how to pronounce it. And lastly, as always, a new config manager release. We'll also be talking through a couple of other areas which affects this podcast and possibly you as our listeners as well. So please, Alexander, take it away. Well, um, the the question is, should we dive into the the, the question that we want to, to put to our <laughs> listeners first? Let's do that Ma- and get that out of the way, shall we? Exactly. Just, just any propo- like any proposal, just get it out of the way. Yes. And that question is the question of sponsorship. Um, we've both had questions from listeners asking, why don't we have sponsors? Because as it is, we are paying out of pocket for all the stuff that we do. And not only is it a lot of hardware stuff, then again, we've kind of amassed that over the years, but we are also paying continuous hosting fees and, and that kind of stuff. So while there is some good things to be said about having sponsors, it also means some potential drawbacks, as you know more than about than I do. Yeah, and and the reason, or first and foremost, why we haven't had sponsors is that we haven't really seen the need to have sponsors. Um but like Alexander said, we have some costs for the podcast and it would of course be great if someone else could pay for that so we can spend money on other things that we could use for the podcast. But we, we also, of course, want to be as neutral as we possibly can. We It's not a, a secret that we kind of like Microsoft and, and some other vendors, but we are still very upfront with we say what we want to say and sponsorships could not affect that, I would say, but it could affect the the trust for us. So I would say that that's the main downside that I can see. And and we would like your input, like if if Knee Deep in Tech were to bring on one or two sponsors, w- would that affect your your view of the podcast? Yeah, and and if the the answer is no, let's do it. Who would would be a good fit to to sponsor mm-hmm. us and who would want to sponsor us? Um, And also, our minds, we are still this small, weird idea that we came up with a few (laughs) years back. But it turns out that we have a fair amount of listeners. We're we're roughly around a thousand listeners a month, and and that is that is a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And and also, of course, if there are certain kinds of sponsorships that we shouldn't bring into to the podcast as well. Uh, as I see it, it, it should be tech and it should be 
like sponsors that actually bring value both to us but of course also to our listeners we we i see very little reason to promote i don't know any like service that provides food i was gonna say weapons manufacturers but yeah um (laughs) but you regret that you said that now (laughs) exactly (laughs) so give us like we are more than happy to your feedback on on this and if you would like for us to consider sponsors please reach out to us we we are we are are dead cheap (laughs) that was simon's words not mine (laughs) anyway so a few days ago i had the wonderful opportunity to speak at a completely new conference and it has a new format it was called the data minutes and the idea was there was a whole day two tracks with 10 minute sessions and the sheer amount of fantastic content there there was so much it was like a buffet you you just wanted to sample everything and at the end of the day you would chock full of amazing ideas and you just wanted to hit google but you couldn't because you needed to go to bed and yeah so I, I presented on a topic that I have not been talking so much about. It's tangentially connected to, to data. Uh, my session was called Average Fail. Um, it's, it's all about how means or averages in data analysis can come back and bite you in the posterior. And I mean, the, the, the problem with, well, the problem, there's, there's a lot of problems with means, which we're, we're going to come to, but... The main issue that I see is that people think of means as the first and foremost way of analyzing data. What's the quickest way to get a single number to compare? Well, you do a mean. But what does a mean, well, mean? (laughs) That is the question. And this is where it becomes, uh, shall we say, messy. So there, there's this um, classical tale of the statistician who drowned while fording a river that he calculated to be, on average, about three feet or one meter deep. Uh, it wasn't. So if he was alive to tell the tale, he would expound on the flaw of averages, which states pretty simply that Uh, Any plan based on assumptions about average conditions will usually go wrong. And this this goes hand in hand with Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And as soon as you add means to things, you're opening an industrial-sized can of worm. (laughs) For for starters, let's just look at uh, three uh, different uh, classes of people. So we we have... um, in a school, three three different classes, right? You might have the same average height of the students. But in one class, you might have a number of shorter students and you might have a number of taller students. And in one class, you might even have a, half of them being super, super short and half of them being super, super tall. But it's still going to have the same length, individual or, or, or average length, right? And this brings us to the first 
of many issues with means. The mean will not show you the spread of the results. Now, that's kind of implied. It's, it's a mean, it's not a, a spread. Because if we want to have a spread, that's going to be another kind type of analysis. But it, it brings home already, we're starting to see the, the potential issues with the mean. But it, it can get worse, and it does get worse very, very quickly. Because, as some, some people know, I used to be a paramedic. And hence, I know a bit more about pain than the average guy. <laughs> See what I did there? I did that during the session as well, and I can hear the groans over the internet. Anyways, so a, a common way to quantify pain is to ask patients to rate their pain on a scale from 0 to 10, where 10 being the most excruciating pain they've ever experienced and 0 being no pain at all. Kind of obvious, right? The thing with pain is that it is impossible to measure objectively, so we rely on this self-appraised number to figure out if pain develops over time. Say, let's say we have um, a drug trial or, or some kind of intervention. I, I need to have the patient to, uh, to appraise how much pain are they in to figure out, okay, is my treatment working or not? And if we were to have three groups of patients where the, they, they have the same average, but there is a vastly different opinion of individual pain. So I can have one patient that has a, a nine on the scale of pain and a number of patients that don't feel any pain at all. So the average is a very moderate two, for instance. No sane doctor would treat all of your patients based off this average, right? <laughs> of course not. But that's exactly what averages or means does to your analysis. It's that bad. As soon as you start to doing to do means and an average on, on your data, it just goes to shit. I'm terribly sorry to use the word, but it's it's true. And in the example that I showed during the, the session, I also showed that in, in the first example, the, the, the results were spread equally above and below the average. So in, in the example of, of three classes with students, well, one class had a number of people taller and a number of people um, shorter is the word shorter. I'm looking for. Um, for some reason, I, I came up with the word slower, and I don't think that's what I was looking for. But... I don't necessarily need to have that kind of distribution. There is nothing to say that I might not have one person that is super, super tall and 50 people who are super, super short. So what is going to happen then? Well, one data point can have a huge effect on the entire data set. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we're not going to see again the... The average is not going to be representative for the data set because we can always have um, the, the, the mean being moved onto other, uh, either side just because of the, the data. So again, let, let's go for an example on, on pain medication. We, we have two groups of patients in this study. We have 100 people in each group, right? And in the first group, 99 people 
they have their pain improved by one point. So they, they are going from pain of three to a pain of two, for instance. One person, though, had an amazing improvement because their pain improved by five points. And do note, we don't have a clue about the, the amount of pain going in. The, the second group still have 99 people. Their pain improved by one point. For one person, though, the pain worsened by five points. What does this mean? Well, the average point change is going to be 1.4 points in the first group and a 0.94 improvement in the second group. So based on the mean, that means that the treatment for the first group looks better, which it technically is. But in reality, for 99% of the population, for everybody in the, the data set, all the patients, both treatments are going to be equally effective. In this case, the mean is completely misleading since two people with extreme results are pulling the average up or down. So again, it does not represent the population as a whole, but it gets worse. So we can have- How this, much worse? Well, on average, a lot. <laughs> you just had to, right? I just had to. I, this is actually, I, I love this because this is one of the clearest memories I have from my math studies when I was in high school because I loved this. Pain I medication? Clearly. <laughs> yeah, could have needed that as well. But um, when we spoke about averages and, and like how to treat data and how you really can get a horrific result by not taking into account how it was calculated and what you really are after. So I, I, I'm just here enjoying everything you say, and, and that probably puts us in the average or below the average of sane people. Oh, that was a long time ago, but yes. <laughs> now, and, and you, you also uh, kind of touched on something that I will not be talking about, but it's a very, very important point, and that is if you do not know how the data was conceived... Mm -hmm how it was calculated, well, then you're in a world of hurt that is parallel to, to averages. <laughs> because if you're doing averages, you know that you're going to, well, hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. But I digress. So what you also might find yourself in a situation where you have, say, for instance, five people. They are all reporting a pain decrease by one point. So that gives you an average of one point decrease, right? But what if you have a group of five people where one person has a, a decrease of eight points, but the remaining four, they're having an increase in pain of one point. That's going to give you an average of 0 0.08. So just looking at the numbers, the first treatment option is going to be better, but the second option is, well, in practice, a lot better because you had one a patient that did um, really well on the second, right? And another way that a mean can be misleading is that it does not give us any information about the improvement, how it relates to a factual improvement. And what I mean with that is, uh, it's, it's called an important or noticeable change. So, and it, it, it's also referred to as the minimum important difference. So again, we're, we're back at the, the pain studies. And we have two groups of five people each, right? And if the first group has all the same decrease of one point, 
that is going to give you an average of one point. Awesome. But if the second group has one person that has minus four, minus three, minus one, and then you have two people that has plus two, i.e. increased pain instead, the first group is going to give you a minus one or an average of one. The second group is going to give you an average of 0.8. So just looking at the numbers, the first one is going to be better. But here's the kicker. If we were to stipulate that we need a, an improvement, we need a change to be at least three points to call it clinically relevant at all, uh, then it turns out that the first group that had the better average does not have any meaningful change at all. And in turn, the second group instead have two people with a three point decrease or more. So suddenly that's much, much, much better and much more usable information. Why is this? Well, it turns out that the, the average, uh, no, the most, most people do not experience the average effect because the average person does not exist. And what does this mean? I did not mean that, but I <laughs> got it in there anyway. You're so just mean. I, I am very mean and I'm, I'm going to be treating mean very meanly as well. So one way that you fill in missing data, say for instance, that you have a lot of data on, on, well, let's go for um, passengers on the Titanic. Why do I go with this? Well, I know for a fact that there is a lot of information missing for some of the um, passengers of the Titanic, mostly for the, the, um, the cheaper berths, because they were just cheap people and nobody cared about those, which kind of sucks, but that's another story. <laughs> the thing is, how do I go about to do averages on age, for instance, if I don't know the age of roughly 20% of my, my data set? How do I do it? Well, either I do a, a, an average over the rest. Yeah, that's going to skew my data pretty seriously. So what I need to do is I need to come up with a reasonable number to put in to compensate for the lack of data, right? So I come up with this brilliant idea to add in the average number of, of the, well, the average age, right? So what is mm -hmm. that going to make to my, my what's going to happen to my data? Well, it might not be a, a very big surprise that the mean is not going to change at all because we literally just added numbers to, to have the same effect, but we are changing the distribution and suddenly the distribution of age has shifted rather violently. Mm -hmm. And if you do not know this, if you do not control for this, well, suddenly your data is going to show you something that is simply not true. And my favorite, my favorite um, misuse of averages or, or means is when you take qualitative data and you express that as a number, and then you try to do means on that. So let's say that a bicycle equals one, an orange equals two, and a rather upset dinosaur equals three. What would the mean of this represent? I have no idea. None. <laughs> But I've seen this, well, not necessarily with oranges and, and bicycles and, and dinosaurs, but I've seen this 
be done in customer uh, applications. Just because it's a number does not necessarily mean that you can get away with doing um, mathematical operations on it. I would love to talk to that person that thought that was a good idea. Or was the idea from the start that we need a number to represent something here? And then someone else realized, oh, it's numbers. We can do calculations with numbers. And then everything went. Exactly that. Exactly that. Because as soon as you have a number, then you can do averages or, or standard deviations or whatever you want to do with it. But again, you need to understand the data you're looking at. And means does not give you very good data to work with. So in, instead, for the love of anything that is holy, use a standard deviation for starters to give an, get an idea of the distribution of data. And then also look at the minimum important change and figuring out a percentage, basically, how much of your data is changes above or or on the minimum change. Then we can talk. Then you can start to do some interesting um, views of your data. But before that, don't don't just go average the crap out of everything you see. And here's what makes me the most pissed. What is the default calculation in in Power BI? It's the average. So That's whenever just mean. you, yes, Simon, that is just mean. <laughs> Whatever you do when you you pull in something and, and put it in into a visual, it's going to default to averages. And if you don't know that, that might come back to haunt you. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, what does this have to do with IT? Oh, everything. Because as soon as you start to amass any kind of data, and just let's face it, everything is data. As soon as you have some data and you start to do averages, why do you why do you want to have um, an average? Well, it is an easy number to compare. Compared to the average, my salary is blah blah. My car is more expensive. My cat is fatter. I don't know. You can just apply. And you can, you can see where we're going with this. Because again, as soon as you start to do averages, you're comparing basically made up numbers. But it looks like it has a basis in reality. So that's why I think this applies to IT, to anything really. And averages seem like a great idea, but in, in practice, they are potentially very very dangerous and and like looking at it from the perspective why do you want an average that's the only reason why you want an average is to make something more extreme or less extreme than the average you have very little use of the average the average Isn't, is most often used to compare another average exactly. so you're comparing basically trombones to apples yeah yeah exactly or or dinosaurs to bicycle bicycles sure. and you're you're compounding the issue by comparing more and more averages mm -hmm. so yeah it, exactly. it's going because to hell in a handbasket very very quickly mm -hmm. yeah agreed and i think like i know that heine and, and yourself like it's all about math and and i think it's it's now 
many, many, many years ago since I went to high school that I start to realize, yes, math was useful or the logic was useful doing programming. And, and as you may know, I'm actually rather good at math, but I, I'm completely useless when it comes to writing code. But when we talk about math, I start to realize why it matters so much. And I think that everyone who have read some kind of math, or even if you haven't read math, are good at math, because there are a lot of people that haven't read the ridiculous math I've read as well that are already good at mat mathematics. And, and I think you have a very, very good position in a data-driven world. Yes, totally. And I'm not going to go off on another tangent because I, I, I could, <laughs> but the, there, there is an interesting effect that kicks in when you have a lot of data. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be a lot of data. It just needs to be enough data that you cannot easily uh, see it all or, or just grasp it all. Because then you need to do some, some mathematical analysis on it in order to, to use it, because otherwise it is unwieldy. And as soon as you start to do this over large amounts of data, then every little error that creeps in makes a pretty big impact. So in, in that case, I think we're, we're on a bit of a downhill slide mm -hmm. because we're getting more and more and more data and we're still making the same mistakes that were fairly easy to spot and compensate for with a reasonable data set. But yeah, the, these days, if you have X number of million rows, it is not going to be obvious that you've messed something up early in, in the the. Uh, uh, the calculation you you can't do the the math in your head and go well this does not look real and it's like your trillion row demo that you said like if you have a trillion rows of data you can easily mess up a hundred or two hundred or three hundred million rows of data and if that's in the wrong place especially that will definitely mess up the result yeah and it might actually be years before anybody catches on mm -hmm. yeah and I mean, th this is going to be an issue for financial data. This is going to be life or death for mm -hmm. medical data. So in, in many ways, the, the flip side of data literacy is mathematical literacy. Just having an idea of what you're, you're putting your data through will, will have mm -hmm. uh, as a consequence. And this is something that I love to talk to an actual mathematician about because I... I dabble in math. I'm terrible. I think you're way better at math than I am. And we're both pale in comparison to, for instance, Penny. The average. No, I think we're, we're average. We're below average. <laughs> now you're being mean. Uh, I, I do my best. I do my best. Okay, so let's head into something else that... <clears throat> may have made some people feel a bit uncomfortable last week when Microsoft decided to rename Windows Virtual Desktop into Azure Virtual Desktop. Uh, being the organizer of one user group and one conference with WVD in its name, uh, we had some, uh, let, let's just say, a few new domains were purchased. <laughs> and, and I have stories to tell about that as well. But in practice, it makes total sense. Um, because Windows Virtual Desktop, what's the focus of Windows Virtual Desktop? It's, it's 
yes, it's a Windows operating system, but where do you spend most of your time? It's in Azure. It's, it's Azure services. Everything is driven by Azure services one way or another. So it's really not representative to have it uh, in Windows. And it's also owned by the Azure team. It's not owned by the Windows team or the modern management team. There are also discussions in terms of if it's one one very common feature request and very high up in, in user voices, we want Linux virtual desktops as well. And I, I wouldn't, I don't think people would like to have, yay, we run Windows virtual desktop and we have 1000 Ubuntu VDIs. I think people would mind that. So it's now Azure Virtual Desktop. We'll just have to deal with it. But they also announced some other things to compensate for the absolute mess that followed that name change. So we now know that we will be able to get Azure AD joined Windows Virtual Desktop machines, which is something the world has been longing for since the release. So the preview will be out soon where you can Azure AD join your Windows Virtual, your Windows Azure Virtual Desktop. That will be a pain to say as well. Uh, to Azure AD and then sign in with your Azure AD credentials whilst you are today required to have some kind of AD connection. So either domain services or a DC in the cloud or, or a VPN connection. So that's a great benefit and it will benefit a lot of especially smaller organizations and it will also bring real single sign-on at some point without the need of ADFS because ADFS is a curse. Um, we also got news that there will be adding a lot of new features to Microsoft Endpoint Manager. We'll talk about Config Manager in a bit uh, that will also be able to manage multi-session Windows-based Azure virtual desktops. And... Um, Finally, we also now have some quick setups if you just want to try something out. And the fourth, and this is a rather interesting thing that I think you will like, Microsoft is also introducing a per-user application licensing model for Azure Virtual Desktop. Imagine that you are a, an ISV, you're developing an application, and you want somehow to distribute that application to your customers. Previously, if you wanted to do that, you had to pay a lot of money to get CALs and whatnot for a user to get access to that app. Now you can pay per user to your Azure Virtual Desktop, which in my world makes total sense. I can therefore sell my app without the need to deploy it to a customer if I want the need to do that. So that's a really, really cool twist on how you can use Azure Virtual Desktop. And yes, WVD TechFest will be remain, renamed Azure Virtual Desktop TechFest. Moving on to something more happier and another abbreviation. Last week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we had Worldwide Developer Conference from Apple. And we got a huge amount of great news in terms of management of macOS and iOS. And uh, you can read more about that in my colleague Tobias Almian's excellent blog post summarizing all of this. Um, so I will just give you a few bits and pieces. One thing that I really think is essential 
is that we in iOS 15 and macOS Monterey, Monterey, sorry for the pronunciation, uh, please use Swedish names the next time or something like that. Um, we can now use managed Apple IDs with I iCloud Drive. So a company owned and managed Apple ID, which now can use more Azure's or um, Apple services. We will have more control over copy-paste in both these operating systems. So similar to what we have in, in Windows and to some extent to other platforms that we can't move data between managed apps and unmanaged apps using copy-paste. More control in terms of deploying or enrolling devices to MDM, where we today have a rather hard requirement to create a good user experience uh, when we are using supervised devices. So in the upcoming releases, a user can enroll a personal device or a BYOD or a choose your own device. And you as an organization are able to install one single app without prompting the user, regardless if you're using VPP or supervised devices or whatnot. So that will create a much better experience and you will also be able to have user-driven enrollment. So you, you don't have to point out a specific device, you point out a specific user and any device that user enrolls will get into your MDM. That sounds like the way to do it, actually. Absolutely. It makes tons of sense. And it, it's just for larger organizations, this whole device management thing is just a pain. Just imagine a school. We have a thousand new students coming into class and I need to know which class at, at the very least that should have a certain group of iPads or iPhones or whatnot. Now you can just say, point out these people and whichever device they get, they should be in class six. Nice. We are also getting an erase all content feature in macOS Monterey. So the same way as we reset a phone, you will now be able to reset a Mac, which will improve the speed of that reset, I hope, immensely. So in, instead of having to blow away the entire operating system, you're just raising the data. Yeah. Kind of like you can do with Windows, right? Yes. <laughs> but with Windows, it's super slow. <laughs> oh. Um, just one more thing. There are tons of other things, but one other really essential difference here is that with iOS 15, um, Apple Silicon and at Mac OS Monterey, you will be able to take your iPhone, scan a Mac, and that Mac will be populated into your Apple Business Manager. So basically manually adding Mac devices to Apple Business Manager using an iPhone. So you use it basically like a barcode scanner, and that enables you in the next step to deploy them. So imagine the scenario where you actually have purchased Macs from an unauthorized reseller, which you shouldn't do, or you just have forgotten to ask that reseller to register them for you, or you simply don't know where to put them. Then you can provide a, a local IT technician with an iPhone, and she or he just scans the devices and puts them into the correct Apple Business Manager. Stupid question. Does the um, Apple M1 machine need to be turned on in order to scan, or is it something... No, it should be hardware as, as soon as, uh, as far as I'm aware. So do you need to 
uh, have power on or is it just no nothing nothing okay. because it, it's it's happening in the back end so you just scan the device so there's some kind of, of barcode or or yeah okay that that's how it's described <laughs> and, and you don't need a cable that's the essential part <laughs> well do you need a connector or converter adapter <laughs> thingy well, that's oh, the course. question whenever there's a mac involved exactly you, you need a bluetooth usb dongle in the mac which only comes with usb a so you will need a converter for that and then you will need a converter from lightning to usb c to usb a to put in the other dongle that's just mean <laughs> and that's the average solution yes probably so i'm gonna be not talking about Power BI because it's been fairly quiet on the Power BI front for a while, but there has been two enormous changes to Azure SQL Server. The first one is query store hints, and you'd be um, excused by not having a clue what that means. So one of the things when you're doing tuning as a consultant is that you might not be able to touch the code. You can mm -hmm. see the culprit. You can see where the code is just absolute, complete horseshit, but you can't touch it for reasons. Uh, one reason might be that the change process is going to take months. Another reason is that the vendor does not like you and won't care. So you're, you're stuck in limbo anyways. But with query store hints, you can now take that specific code. It, it's going to have a query ID inside of the query store, which is part of the Azure SQL Server, you can tack on a hint. So you can hint it and say, for instance, I want this to be parallelized over using uh, 16 CPUs or just one CPU, or I want it to be uh, recalculated every time I run it, i.e. forcing a hard parse. This can mean the world to performance, to all kinds of things. And again, you're not touching the production code. You can do this without touching the code. That is that's brilliant. And it's also scary as hell. But yes, it's <laughs> it's it's a brilliant thing. Oh, I, I can see that being used for not so good purposes as well. <laughs> exactly. You can you can really kill performance with this. Because anything you can hint, you can do with a crystal or hint. So use with caution. And and you could possibly manipulate the data. It's not just performance or no. Uh, you can't uh, because you're you can only again do hints and one hint a, a hint is a, an instruction to the optimizer how to approach the problem of optimizing uh, the query uh, but that, mm -hmm. that is a very good question but I could say for instance that yes you should definitely use this index that mm -hmm. has not been updated since the 1600s that is going to kill your performance for mm -hmm. instance In, which which could be used as a cyber attack as well Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is a new uh, attack surface. Yeah. And I have uh, that's... a lot of ideas. How evil. <laughs> Again, we need to do our session on data and security. We do. Which kind of, uh, that was a nice segue to um, something that you completely mispronounced. <laughs> it's not changes to data capture. It's actually called CDC or change data capture. And, and uh, change data capture has been around for a long time in SQL Server. It is the way to uh, basically handle historical change information because you're going to capture both the uh, 
the DML changes, that would be insert updates, deletes, and you're going to catch the change data. So you're, you're going to have a bit of a historical record of what's happened to your data. And CDC is a fantastic way of handling huge amounts of data because you don't need to just dump in all of it every night because you, you can just go for what's, what's changed since the last time I did a load, for instance. The problem is CDC has not been available in Azure SQL Server, which mm -hmm. is, uh, let's just say that the community has screamed bloody murder for quite <laughs> some time. This is a basic thing that must be there, but wasn't. But lo and behold, since the 9th of June, this is now in public preview. So it is a huge thing that is going to lift a enormous blocker for um, using Azure SQL uh, database in a more of a data warehouse or data marked um, perspective. But before you run off and just say this is going to solve all your problems, keep in mind that Azure SQL Server is still hilariously slow from an IO perspective compared to just about anything else. It is not a viable idea to use this for a data warehouse. That's my very unpopular opinion, but <laughs> yes. So um, we're going to have the uh, CDC uh, available for Azure SQL Database and Query Store Hints are going to be available for Azure SQL Database and Azure SQL Managed Instance. And again, both of these features are in preview. So use accordingly. Mm -hmm. And we also have, like, I, I love being part of the product group where, where I'm fortunate enough to be an MVP in, inside of the MEM team because I love that they release whenever they like an extra technical preview per month. This is a rather old one. Uh, this was released on May 28th, but we just haven't had time to, to talk about it. But this is uh, technical preview 21, 21.05.2, so the second May release. And one of the things that I've heard so much feedback on from the beginning, and which I've, I, I think I can go back four or five years and find this in my blog posts, we are now able to get the native Windows experience when deploying software updates with Config Manager. So instead of having the Config Manager pop-ups and, and everything like that, we can get the native experience of Windows, just as if you were installing updates from Windows Updates. And I think that's a much, much better user experience. We <laughs> imagine the following scenario. You are providing feedback to a product group and you get an error doing something. And the only way to provide the feedback on I'm getting this error to the product group is by closing the error message and then sending feedback from the console. Would that annoy you? <laughs> A bit. So in this release, you're now able to send feedback from the error dialogues in Config Manager. Oh, that is a good thing. Yeah, it, it's it's like, it makes tons of sense and it's, it's such a, and that also shows how committed this product group is to feedback because they love feedback. Honestly, they they do. I, I think they eat feedback and are happy to do so. Um, and the last thing I would like to mention, there are tons of other things with um, CM Pivot and such in this release, but this is a small, but yet very important change. You're now able to add custom properties for devices. Oh, hello. 
Yes. So the, the examples they have, which we have struggled with doing this previously, is things like, where is this device located? The physical location. Uh, to what part of the organization does this belong? Cost center, departments. Asset tags. And exactly. please don't and do averages on those. <laughs> that would be interesting. But, but I think this is also... It really shows how committed Microsoft is to listen to their customers and, and their partners because this, to be able to scale, to move towards services inside and outside of organizations, this is essential for billing, for testing things out. And up until now, we have had to do things like tattooing registry settings or something like that on our own. This makes tons of more sense. And it's much more efficient to evaluate as part of a collection. Fantastic. And uh, I think you know what I'm about to say. We're out of time again. <laughs> Let's start over. <laughs> Let's not start over. No, bad Simon. No, we're, we're again out of time. I'm, I still have a hard time grasping the fact that I was skeptical to doing 45 minute sessions because I, I thought it would be too long, but yeah, no, uh, it works very, very well. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So if that's pretty much it, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another interview. We're going to be talking to, um, Tomas Kastrun again, and hopefully we're going to be talking to Heine Ilmarinen as well, uh, to get her uh, views on, uh, the community being a new member mm -hmm. of the, uh, for instance, the MVP community. So uh, see you next week and have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Abitzon and Simon Binder. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com.